Happy Friday, everybody, and welcome back to the Unbothered Podcast with Josh Moraney. Today, I'm going to be talking about Pete Carroll saying that he does not think the Seahawks will trade for a quarterback. I react to that and what that means. Then, I'm going to look at the 2023 mock draft. Many experts have come out with very similar mock drafts and who uh, they think each team will be picking in next year's draft. And some of it has already got me very excited. Then tonight, the NBA playoffs are back after taking a day off yesterday. Heat 76ers, Suns Mavericks are looking to take a commanding 3-0 lead on their respective series. The Celtics, Bucks, the Grizzlies, Warriors, Dylan Brooks, one game suspension I'll be getting into. NHL playoffs also are on tonight. And then I'll finish up with some baseball in the New York Mets. Crazy come from behind win and probable win yesterday. Let's get started with Pete Carroll saying he doesn't see the Seahawks trading for a quarterback, but it says that they're always competing. Uh, you know, we're always looking for the chances uh, or looking for opportunities and ways to help our team. There's always possibilities, but, you know, they are not actively looking for a quarterback and that he doesn't, you know, envision the team trading for a quarterback. No specific quarterback was mentioned in the interview, but that is what Pete Carroll said about the possibility of even adding another quarterback. Of course, you know, they passed on Malik Willis more than once, more than once. So it makes sense that they wouldn't trade for a quarterback such as Baker Mayfield, who has been linked to them. Uh, if they passed on Malik Willis a few times. So what does this mean? To me, it means that this is full rebuild. Now, they can preach uh, competitive and, you know, lie to their fans that, you know, we're going to be competitive this year. We're compete. Well, here's the truth in that. You're going to compete to agree to a degree. But you're not going to be winning any games this year. That's what it means. Uh you might think you're competitive, but in the grand scheme of things, you're not going to be competitive. It's a it's a cupcake. So when the Bucks, you know, are playing you in Germany, it's a cupcake game. When the Rams are playing you, it's more cupcakes. It's an easy win for other teams. Now you'll steal a few wins, but I believe they were six, seven, and ten last year with Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson missed a few games due to injury. Uh, this team has improved in other areas of the football, but has vastly decreased in quarterback. So do I see an improvement on 7-10 and 10 without Russell Wilson? No, no. The Broncos were 7-10, and 10, and Drew Locke last year wasn't even the starter for majority of the games. It was Teddy Bridgewater. So this team, I think, will be looking at five wins, five, six. I think they'll be thrilled if they get to seven. But I think that five-win mark is where I currently have the Seahawks. And, you know, now the debate is, you know, we look at college football and quarterback uh, competitions and sometimes in the NFL as well. Uh, we do that as well. 
we'll look for uh, QB competitions. But this competition is not one that intrigues me. The the Geno Smith uh, versus Drew Locke is not something that's going to keep me up, you know, because neither of those inspire confidence uh, to me. Uh, if I'm a Seahawks fan, I'm dreading that I'm going to go out day one, game one, with Geno Smith or Drew Locke under center. Uh, that's a tough sell. Those two guys we saw, Geno Smith, in the few games that he started. Last season, he was terrible. Uh, utterly helpless against the Saints in a Monday night game where the Seahawks defense actually showed up, but Geno Smith was just inept uh, against the Steelers. Turnover prone. A game they could have won, got to overtime. Again, we see multiple times from Drew Locke that he is not the guy in his time with Denver. And that's why Denver was so ready to move off of him. So the Seahawks are clearly, you know, probably looking till the 2023 draft next year, where it's a quarterback-heavy class, which I'll be getting into in a bit. But the Seahawks, for the better part of this football season, this upcoming 2023 season, this is not going to be a good football team. Now, what does this mean for Baker? Because I thought this is the one shot Baker had was to go to the Seattle Seahawks. Now that that's gone, I do not see him going to Seattle or playing really with a team this year uh, being a starter. I don't. Uh, Man, it seems like teams are deterred from trading. That was a big deterrent was his contract, uh, which when you look at it, it's it's really a bargain for quarterbacks around nineteen twenty million, where premium quarterbacks are getting paid anywhere from a forty to fifty million dollar per year range. So Baker's price uh, tag right now is is really at a steal. You're getting a fifty percent off discount, but do you really want? To pay a guy who clearly regressed last year, uh, lacks leadership skills, uh, and doesn't have good locker room chemistry as well. And I think I was wrong about Baker. I was happy for Baker when he got drafted by the Browns. I was a big Baker fan, believed in Baker from the beginning, uh, who was the number one pick out of Oklahoma, loved him at Oklahoma, loved the swag, and he had leadership there. He goes to the Browns, uh, the laughing stock of the NFL, uh, who was 1-31 in, in games before him, an 0-16 season and a 1-15 season. Uh, he gets drafted, doesn't start for the first two games, they lose. Then, I believe they finish 7-9 and nine his rookie year. And I believe if they would have started Baker the first two games, they could have made the playoffs uh, at 9-7. and seven. Then the following year, he leads them to the playoffs in his full first season. Starting, beats the arch rival, the Pittsburgh Steelers, in Pittsburgh, big playoff game. That is what Baker Mayfield does. I'm happy. Then 
He plays the Chiefs and almost upsets the Chiefs, albeit not playing with Patrick Mahomes in the second half, but still tough road environment in Arrowhead, Kansas City, clearly the best team in the AFC, and Baker almost pulls off the upset, except he does not get the ball back at the end of the game. The defense cannot stop. Chad Hitty, that's who they cannot stop. Then this following year, injuries hurt him, and he was not able to recover, refused to get surgery in season and shut it down, wanted to go out there and make a utter fool of himself to the point that his skills digressed, his uh, mental toughness uh, digressed as well. Uh, Towards the fact now where teams are steering clear of Baker and do not want him on the team. I was wrong about Baker. I am no longer the fan I once was of him. And I don't know where he goes from here. I don't know if the Browns cut him. What I do know is it, it's there's no benefit to having him on your roster. By the time training camp starts with Deshaun Watson, uh, you sign Jacoby Brissett. It's clear that Baker's done. They wanted an adult at quarterback. So it's clear that they should cut him, uh, move on from him. Obviously, you're not going to get any trade value from him uh, because this draft is over. He'd be a free agent after his rookie contract is up. So, Who knows where he lands? I think the Browns cut him. He joins the team as a backup or perhaps waits it out until a guy goes down. They bring in Baker and sees how they can help. Uh, But just a difficult spot for Baker. I really know uh, I don't see him landing on his feet uh, with the team and leading him uh, to success, you know, to me, he is on the Sam Darnold path now. Uh, highly touted out of college. High pick. Flukes out. I think Baker's better than Sam Darnold. Uh, but this this is the path of Baker right now. Then talking about other quarterback battles. Ryan Tannehill says he won't. Uh, mentor Malik Willis, it's not his job to do so. And I agree with him. Not for other people's reasons that, you know, it's not his job to do so. But what is Malik Willis going to learn from Ryan Tannehill? Let's be for real now. If it wasn't for Ryan Tannehill's utter choke job against the Cincinnati Bengals, uh, where he blew it, uh, and threw an interception to start the game, to start the second half, and then a crucial one at the end of a fourth quarter there. Titans would have moved on to the conference championship game. But Ryan Tannehill, terrible, terrible performance. Uh, only reason he has succeeded in Tennessee is because they have Derrick Henry, King Henry, in the backfield. That's the only reason 
the Titans are of any relevance is because of that one man. So, of course, Malik Willis, he's not going to learn anything from Ryan Tannehill. If I'm Malik Willis, I really don't want to learn anything from Ryan Tannehill. There's nothing he can teach me. Uh, Ryan Tannehill needs to go back to school. Uh, and this shows me, you know, that Ryan Tannehill, you know, he said he was in a dark place, had to go to therapy, you know, after what happened to the team, and actually more after what he did to the team in losing. Uh, so clearly, some anxiety there. Uh, it's probably resurfaced with them drafting Malik Willis uh, because they know Ryan Tannehill, you know, this is it. Uh, one last push. And it doesn't help that Julio Jones is now gone. His favorite wide receiver in A.J. Brown is now gone. So you got two new guys in there. You know, your rookie who you drafted from Arkansas, and then you brought in Robert Woods from the Rams. So it's a whole new group for him to get used to. Uh, but I think it's, you know, just for Ryan Tannehill also saying this, it's selfish as well. Uh, Kurt Warner disagreed with what Ryan Tannehill had to say and say, hey, you know, if any quarterback wants help or wants to learn, uh, you know, DM me and I'll go out there with you and practice with you. That is the kind of teammate that I want. I want a teammate like Kurt Warner who wants to build chemistry, build a relationship, make me better on the field, help me out and have this mutual benefit us, mutual benefiting us. Not Ryan Tannehill's attitude of, uh, you know, I don't want him, you know, uh, you know, I'm not mentoring him. You know, this was the Titans pick. I had nothing uh, to do with it. At least handle it like Aaron Rodgers where you could subtweet, you know, not say anything specific, moan and groan, maybe retire a little bit here and there. But to publicly come out like this, Against Malik Willis, it's a bad look. It's a bad look for the team, for the chemistry. It's already in tor- turmoil, term- turmoil uh, after what's been going on since the draft. So for Ryan Tannehill to say that, definitely not a fan of that. I think Malik Willis will end up usurping Ryan Tannehill. I don't know if it will be this year, if his play continues like it did in that divisional round. It could be this year. It could be sooner rather than later. But I do think that we will see Malik Willis play competitive football, not just garbage time, but be be there in some key moments as well. I definitely see this as more of a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Trey Lance situation here in Tennessee where Malik Willis, you know, has the ability uh, to run, you know, open up uh, the defense, you know, Ryan Tannehill. To also be a threat running for football, but that's strictly off read options. And, you know, just the defense, you know, putting so much effort into stopping Derrick Henry. That's the only time Ryan Tannehill, to me, only escapes and makes the plays with his legs, where Malik Willis is a much more dynamic player than Ryan Tannehill. But again, I agree with Kurt Warner said and what Ryan Tannehill has said. It's not the right attitude. Then veteran linebacker Kyle Van Noy signed a deal with the Los Angeles Chargers. 
He has been a New England Patriots uh, player most of his life. He's bounced back where, you know, with the Patriots, with the Dolphins, back with the Patriots, the Lions, back with the Patriots, you know, always finds himself back with the Patriots, uh, finds a role there, but he signs with the Chargers. I think this is a good move because he's at a stage in his career now uh, where he's no longer a starter, can be a valuable uh, role player. And I think this is key that, you know, the Chargers, two starters at that position are Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa. Uh, that this is strictly in for depth purposes, leadership. And I think this is a great move. The contract terms have not been disclosed yet, uh, but I'm pretty sure they got him for a bargain. Uh, and I think this is a good backup, a good spot for him to land, you know, after the Patriots. Uh, the Chargers still retooling this defense. It's, to me, much improved. And I like the Chargers' value here in what they got. Now, the 2023 mock draft. There's been quite a few out there, and I'm just going to go through the first round here, but, you know, it's a very quarterback-heavy draft, I believe. There's, you know, five quarterbacks picked in the first 10 across the board. Uh, depending on who gets the first pick, uh, if there's a quarterback need or not, depending on how Davis Mills develops, a lot of people have a Texans there at one, and I agree with, uh, or if it's the Jaguars there again, you know, do they get defense? quarterback, you know, what, or if it's the Texans, you know, are they fine with Davis Mills? But if they have a number one pick, probably not fine with Davis Mills. So a lot of people at one either have C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young uh, going there, and, you know, that's expected. Either one of those quarterbacks, C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State, who is, you know, tremendous last year, uh, you know, completing 72% of his passes through for 4,500 yards, 45 touchdowns, uh, six interceptions. I mean, just tremendous. Brilliant last year. Brilliant Rose Bowl game. He looked phenomenal in every game that he played, except for the two losses uh, early in the season against Oregon. Kind of looked lost. And then Aiden Hutchinson had his number uh, in the game. But, you know, if he goes there or Bryce Young as well, you know, Heisman winner last year, you know, who has Aaron Rodgers-like accuracy and mobility. Uh, it's also great. So they have one of those guys going there. You know, Detroit Lions, they have high in the draft as well, getting either one of them. To me, I am fine with either one, especially that, you know, what the Detroit Lions have done this year you know, is make it easier for Jared Goss so that, hey, they can cut him loose if he is not the guy like he, like he should be. You know, Jared Goff was a guy with the talent around him, went to a Super Bowl. He's got talent around him. Uh, we're going to evaluate Jared Goff this year, and if we don't like what we see, we got, you know, one of the better quarterback drafts in recent memory right here. To me, I don't think the Detroit Lions are actually going to be you know, have a top five pick. I think you're going to be very competitive. I think you're going to be, you know, 
eight and nine this year is what I've been saying, but it's also good because if they get that far and they still don't like Jared Goff, they got two first round draft picks, so they can always, you know, maneuver a trade for a team to get a quarterback. So the Detroit Lions to me are in prime position. I love what they've done. I love Dan Campbell. People want to play for Dan Campbell. The culture that he brings. Now, I mocked Dan Campbell, you know, when he was hired. Uh, and I still don't know if he totally knows the game of football. Made some questionable, uh, you know, clock management and late game uh, blunders uh, last year. Getting the hang of it. But I do think he wants an alpha leader in that role, which is that C.J. Stroud. That Bryce Young, uh, that's not Jared Goff. Uh, and I don't know if their personalities totally mesh, but Dan Campbell have has shifted the culture around there in Detroit. Brad Holmes, general manager, fantastic job drafting. So if they are able to wind up with a Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, uh, that would be huge for the Detroit Lions moving forward with such a young team that they have right now. And I believe they only have one player uh, that's over the age of 30 right now that's on the active roster. They also have Will Anderson going early. And like I said, depending on who gets the number one draft pick, Will Anderson could easily go number one or whoever needs the best defensive player. They could use him, you know, Will Anderson – Great last year, led the nation in sacks at eight, 17 and a half tackles for loss, 34 and a half uh, pressures last year, 79. Uh, not as much as my boy Aiden Hutchinson, uh, but he was tremendous. You know, the Jets just got Jermaine Johnson. Pairing that with Phil Anderson, great tandem rush there. If the Jets are able to get him at three or whoever does, is going to get a stud in Will Anderson. Then the best wide receiver is going to be coming out of Ohio State, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, to me, was the best wide receiver at Ohio State this past year. To me, I thought was better than Garrett Wilson, better than Chris Olave. I loved what Jackson Smith and Jigba did last year, especially his Rose Bowl game, which was highlight after highlight, 15 passes for three, 347 yards. Uh, Rose Bowl record, three touchdowns. Uh, he was great. So if some team like the Jaguars or uh, any team around there get him, uh, Panthers, big win. You get Jalen Carter, a Georgia defender, D-tackle, best inside guy in the draft uh, right there. Another quarterback, Anthony Richardson, quarterback from Florida. He's the one that they also have going in the top 10, uh, we'll see where he goes. But, you know, Richardson, 6'4", 236, didn't play a ton in Florida uh, last year, but he has the physical tool set uh, to play in the NFL. Uh, it's going to mainly key on, you know, some of these other uh, quarterbacks. You know, the Panthers, you know, they drafted Matt Corral a lot later. You Do they view him as the number one guy? Sam Darnold, free agent next year. So if that were a team to fall to him, or maybe a team like the New York Giants as well. Or do they get a Will Levis from Kentucky? They didn't pick up Daniel Jones, fifth-year option. 
they know there are better quarterbacks in next year's draft. That is not Daniel Jones. Will Levis is a Josh Allen kind of guy. Big 6'3", 235. A big arm. Consistency is something that he needs to work on. But that was same with Josh Allen. He had the physical tools, but he needed to work on the consistency. He has found that, and that's why he has been such a tremendous player for the Buffalo Bills. Another good wide receiver in that draft, Jordan Addison, uh, could go to the Bears. I think that would help out uh, Justin Fields, who just has Darnell Mooney. No other legitimate wide receiver after trading Allen Robinson. Really didn't draft around him either. Seahawks could also be drafting in the top 10. Tyler Van Dyke, quarterback from Miami, uh, who, you know, I think he's going to take a big step. You know, this year, again, another big quarterback, 6'4", 225. Uh, To me, it just seems like the Seattle Seahawks will be in the market for a quarterback in next year's draft where there is plenty of quarterback talent to go around. Like I said, that would be five four, five quarterbacks taken within the you know, first top ten picks. I think it's very possible uh, that the Seattle Seahawks uh, get a quarterback in that there are five taken. Then, you know, you have your usual offensive linemen, you know, as well throughout the draft, some of the other uh, defensive players as well. Interestingly, you know, we got a tight end in the first round too. Uh, Michael Meyer out of Notre Dame. Uh, kind of have him projected mid-round around the Tennessee pick, uh, which would be helpful because if it's Ryan Tannehill, Malik Willis, they could use a receiving tight end in that offense. More offensive weapons are better for whoever stays there. Then this past year, there was no running back selected as well in the first round that could change you know Bijan Robinson out of Texas could definitely go and they have him projected mid to late first round uh, somewhere around the Eagles or maybe the Arizona Cardinals as well who again is a very big physical running back at six foot 215 pounds but you look at him his size but his underrated skill is also being able to be used in the receiving game as well uh, is a do-it-all from scrimmage kind of player with the ball in his hands Uh, so that would work out well Baltimore Ravens getting a wide receiver they traded away Marquise Brown you know it's just Rashad Bateman uh, there Mark Andrews but if they were to get Kishan Butte uh, from LSU wide receiver you you know, who to me is a very good prospect from LSU, Baltimore Ravens could get a steal later in that draft. Then you got another running back as well, Jameer Gribbs out of Alabama. Uh, And kind of finishing up the draft, you've got Tampa Bay getting a wide receiver, Josh Downs, Buffalo Bills getting a wide receiver as well. So, Next year's draft, again, more wide receivers, great quarterback class. So for teams that are in the market for a quarterback, I think they're going to strongly evaluate because the GMs, the scouts know that next year is where you want to go to find your cheap quarterback in the draft. 
This class was not a very underwhelming quarterback class. But let's look to next year. Let's evaluate. Let's see if maybe our quarterback surprises us. Maybe we'll see Daniel Jones just do an absolute 180 and be the guy. Or maybe, you know, as most people think that, hey, he's still a dud. We're drafting his replacement and can definitely do it right now. So next year is a year to hit home runs on quarterbacks, uh, which we've seen in the past. Um, a lot of quarterbacks taken, not this past draft, but the year before. You know, we had Trey Lance, uh, Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Matt Jones, all those five quarterbacks in that draft. Uh, drafts before, we had Josh Allen, uh and Baker Mayfield, and uh, Lamar Jackson, and then we've had the Patrick Mahomes, you know, and the Mitch Trubisky uh, drafts, and all those guys, you know, some people think, you know, you overvalue a Mitch Trubisky, you undervalue a Patrick Mahomes, and look where they're at now. So definitely looking forward to next year's draft uh, as well. Now moving on from the NFL to some NBA talk. Tonight, Heat 76ers, and the Heat are looking to take a commanding 3-0 lead. Can Joel Embiid and Philadelphia uh, come back? Who knows if there's any Joel. Joel has made process in his uh, injury and clearing uh, certain protocols. Uh, so to me, it's a 50-50 chance he's trying everything that he can to play. But who knows, you know, if that will really be uh, the case or not. Tyrese Maxey uh, says that, you know, we know we need to win uh, this game tonight. They're preparing to, you know, to win, whether that's with Joel or without uh, Joel, but Tyrese Maxey has been great for this team. Uh, Tobias Harris has been great. But I don't see Philadelphia winning this game. I got Miami going up uh, 3-0. Tyler Hero has been sensational this series uh, in all season. Jimmy Butler has been great this playoffs. For the 76ers, it's been Joel Embiid, Tyrese Maxey, Tobias Harris. With Joel Embiid out, James Harden has needed to step up, and that's not been the case. Uh, we saw that these past two games that James Harden cannot go past people like he used to, doesn't have that quick step, quick twitch uh, anymore. You know, he's looking for other people to get involved more, uh, and is kind of running away from the big game pressure that, you know, the 76ers wanted him for, was for games like this, and he has simply not shown up uh, this series or really at all this playoffs. That's who he's been as a player, a great regular season player, but a very mediocre postseason player, and this will only add to that narrative if they lose today, go down 3-0, and James Harden has yet another Poor game where he doesn't look involved, doesn't look like he wants to be there. Looks like he'd rather be partying down in Miami where he just was two days 
or for the first two games of a series rather than in Philly. Uh, I have the Heat winning this game. Again, Kyle Lowry out with his hamstring. Still don't think he should come back or uh, be playing in this game. I don't think they need him. Uh, I think you rest and, you know, you get better for the series that you will definitely need him for, which is the next one. But then if Miami takes that commanding 3-0 lead tonight, can they sweep them this weekend? I definitely think so. I think a sweep is in order. I think it will happen, especially without Joel Embiid. And by the time he gets back, if he even does come back, it's already too late. Miami is going to want to close this out quickly to get their guys extra rest, get Kyle Lowry that extra rest, have Jimmy Butler and his knee inflammation that flares up time and time again, uh, get him arrested as well, get everybody healthy for, you know, the Eastern Conference Finals. I think Miami will get there. I had I pegged Miami to get there and picked them to beat the 76ers. I think they can definitely uh, do that, you know, defensively. They've been great. Offensively, they've been great. Uh, you know, this has just been a very, very consistent Miami Heat team. I'm looking for them to win tonight and win big. Second game on tonight, the Phoenix Suns in the Dallas Mavericks. I'm picking the Suns tonight. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks has... You know, I've known the Dallas Mavericks have been a one-man show with Luka Doncic. And Luka Doncic has played brilliantly, averaging like 40 points in the past two games against the Suns. He's been great. Uh, Phoenix has no one to just shut him down at all. Uh, but the Mavericks are just done if it's just Luka. Last series, Jalen Brunson stepped up and played great. Dinwiddie made some key shots. This series, Jalen Brunson's been non-existent. Spencer Dinwiddie has been non-existent. The team other than Luka has been non-existent. And that's kind of what Phoenix has been doing. We're going to play our level of defense. We know Luka can't beat us by himself, so we'll let him get his 40. But if everybody else can't even get 10, then we know this is a lock and we've got a win here. So that's what Dallas, you know, that's what the Phoenix Suns have been doing. You know, Brunson needs to play better, a lot better for to win this game. I don't see it happening. I think this series is over. Do I think we get a sweep? No, uh, we, I don't think so. Don't think the sweep happens this week. And Dallas, to me, you know, Starting, you know, like how the Celtics were one of the best teams with the new calendar year, flipped the switch. Dallas was one of the same. They were great the second half of the year. Luka was great. This team was great. The trade after Porzingis, they were great. Uh, so for I thought, you know, Dallas could come in here, win a few games, even their regular season games against Phoenix uh, were much, much closer than of these playoff games have felt. These playoff games, to me, have not felt relatively close, uh, whereas regular season 
against the Suns, you know, Suns won 109-101. It was, you know, neck and neck the whole way through right until the end uh, where these ones haven't felt relatively close. Uh, This has felt like a, you know, dominant Suns win. Uh, Dallas comes in just to try to cover the spread at the end, and that's about it. Uh, I'm not going to go with a weekend sweep. Like I said, I think Dallas, there's – they have too much respect. I don't think Luka wants to go out with a sweep. It could be a gentleman sweep. Uh, Phoenix wins tonight. They take the 3-0 lead. Dallas wins game four. Uh, game five back in Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix finishes them off. But I thought Phoenix would win this series. I thought it would be a lot more competitive and better kind of down there to the end. Uh, that has proven to not be the case at all. Uh, Chris Paul awakens in the fourth quarter. To me, it's like uh, Wanda Maximoff, Scarlet Witch on attack mode. He just opens up his eyes, and there is nothing you can do to stop him. And it's easy when you don't have a lot of defenders. You can target Brunson and target uh, Luka, who can't defend. This team can't defend. And they just get whatever they want at will. They are shooting at such a high clip, high pace. I believe it's around 65% in the past two games. It is utterly ridiculous how well and how efficient Phoenix is playing against this Dallas team who just looks helpless. So that's why I think the Phoenix finishes off the Dallas Mavericks with relative ease. Then you have those two series, you have those two games on the spectrum of blowout, non-competitive, and then you've got the other two games that are their series are tight. They're one-one. You know, pivotal game three is coming up tomorrow. The Celtics and the Bucks. We've seen the tale of two games really: the Celtics and Bucks, the same uh, style of play, the build a wall in the interior. Let the shooter shoot on the outside over, make some most shots on the perimeter wins. First game that went to Milwaukee. Second game that went to Boston. Now game three. What happens there? I think Milwaukee wins. Uh, I really do. Uh, I like the Bucks back at home now. They just wanted to steal one at Boston. They did that. They know what Boston's doing, the game plan. Giannis has to be better. He's, and it's not just score more points, get more rebounds. It's the efficiency. Uh, you need to take less shots and score that same amount of points. You have to turn the ball over less as well. That is what I am looking for in the Bucks. Uh Is Grayson Allen going to knock down those big shots? They all did in game one. Allen, Connaughton, Bobby Portis, they're at home. So that definitely helps out for role players. Uh, but also when they're fouled, Giannis is going to have to make his uh, free throws. If they dare Giannis to shoot, he's going to have to make a couple threes. Even if it's just two or three at, at most, he's got to make those, you know, to at least put some respect on the line there as well. You know, the dribble, penetrate, kick out, all that uh, has to be at Giannis's disposal. Uh, he just can't be throwing passes everywhere uh can't just be shooting looking for the end one either and this is going to be a very physical game 
This has been a very physical series these first two games. This is a key game three, but I'm still rolling with Giannis in the Bucks. I like them. I like this mentality more. I thought Jalen Brown had a heck of his game, one of his best playoff performances. Uh, I don't know if he can replicate that. Jason Tatum's been brilliant. Grant, Will- Grant Williams had himself a game. I don't know if that gets replicated either. Uh, so Celtics had just a great shooting night. Again, I don't think that's replicated. I like the Bucks and Giannis to win game three. Then Grizzlies and Warriors. Already a lot of drama surrounding this series. And it's just been two games. Draymond Green was fined $25,000 for his actions of flipping the crowd off. Definitely, you know, uh, should have happened if Kyrie Irving was fined for it. Uh, Draymond should get fined for it. So I have no problem with that at all. But what I do have a problem with is Dylan Brooks' suspension. One game suspension, which is game three, which I think is an absolute joke, absolute joke, that he was suspended, considering the fact that this was not the most absurd flagrant two that we have ever seen. I thought Draymond Green's flagrant two was worse than Dylan Brooks' flagrant two. There are a lot of people are comparing this to Grayson Allen's flagrant two, but it's very different. Grayson Allen went for a tackle. Dylan Brooks did not go for a tackle. He went for the block in his arm, grazed the back of Peyton's head, and he fell down. And unfortunately, he got injured. But to compare Dylan Brooks to Grayson Allen, it's just absurd. It's absurd that he got suspended this game. A key component, a starter for the Memphis Grizzlies. And it just shows that... You know, Draymond wants to talk about repu- it's because of my reputation that I got a flagrant two. Well, it's also because of your reputation that you also didn't get suspended because you're Draymond Green, who's won three rings. Dylan Brooks is still a baby in this league, so he just got a one-game suspension because he doesn't have that star power or that draw. And Dylan Brooks gets suspended for something not even that big of a deal. Uh, and to me, it's crazy watching two different sports like the NBA and NFL. I'm much more a fan of the NFL. And it's reasons like this why that the NBA, it's so soft. It's so ticky-tack. Where in NFL, you've got people laying it out, hitting defenseless wide receivers. you got the targeting and things like that. And people can get suspended uh, multiple games for absolutely big reasons where you look at it and it's like, oh my gosh, his head was almost taken off, you know, on that kind of lead with the crown of the helmet type thing where he's just knocked down unconscious and can't move. And you're like, whoa, that was dangerous. I get the suspension. But for this play, I don't look at it and I'm in, in, in near shock or disgust that I am in some NFL players where it's where it rattles me, where it's like, oof, that's tough. This does not feel this way. 
NBA is clearly a softer league. It only gets more soft as well. Uh, that they suspend Dylan Brooks for a pivotal game three in Golden State. The primary defender of one, Stephen Curry. You're going to suspend Dylan Brooks for swiping at his head. It wasn't a closed fist punch or, you know, going for his head, you know. It was it, terrible, terrible uh, that the NBA suspended him. And the fact that he was basically suspended for game two, that ejection happened within three minutes of the game. So it's not like he played the full game. It was right there at the beginning. The tip-off happened, a couple shots, you know, he goes in, swipes in his head, gets ejected. Oh, time to hit the showers. Three minutes in, there's still another 45 minutes left of the game. There's still there's still the full second, third, fourth quarter, and there's still nine minutes, ten minutes left, ten minutes left in the first quarter. So, again, absolutely absurd that this man gets suspended. It's an absolute joke. But I am still rolling with Memphis. Why? Because they overcome adversity. That's what has been shown in the first two games. Warriors in the first game, Draymond Green, Flagrant 2 ejected. They overcome adversity. Game 2, Dylan Brooks ejected. Flagrant 2, they overcome adversity. They've been overcoming adversity this whole season. They played without Dylan Brooks for a large part of the season. They played without Ja as well for around 25 games. This is what the Memphis Grizzlies do. They are going to beat Golden State tomorrow. Take the 2-1 series lead because they overcome adversity better than anybody in the NBA, any of these NBA teams left in the playoffs. That is what Memphis does. I am still picking them to win this game, win this series. Uh, I trust Ja Morant in these clutch moments, in these playoffs, more than I trust Stephen Curry and Klay Thompson. Give me Ja Morant because he likes to cook against the Golden State Warriors, and I am all here for it. So, yes, give me Memphis. Now moving on to the NHL. Tonight, Hurricanes-Bruins. I picked the Bruins to win this series, and I need a win right now. I need them to win tonight, or it is over. Carolina has outplayed them severely in the past two games, outscoring them 10-3 to in the first two games of this series. The Bruins have been undisciplined. They've been taking too many penalties. And the Carolina Hurricanes are simply flat out making them pay. Boston has to play with much more composure uh, than they have. Uh, you know, Lindholm is out for Game 3 tonight. Uh, you know, Smeshnikov injured him. You know, the tempers have been flaring. Antiranta is out as well. So it is definitely an intense series, but this is a big game tonight. It is a must-win 
for Boston. I'm picking Boston because I picked them initially. But if they don't win this one, it is over. And Sunday, you can most likely break out some broomsticks. Maple Leafs and Lightning. Was high on the Maple Leafs after that first shutout win. The Lightning returned the favor a couple days ago. Now the series is tied at 1-1. I'm still rolling with Toronto. It makes me nervous. Tampa Bay's on quest for the three-peat, which hasn't been done in, I believe, 50 years. Uh, was the last time when the Islanders actually won four in a row. You've had a lot of teams repeat. Uh, you know, we have the Lightning repeat, or in the middle of, you know, still defending champions. You had the Penguins repeat a couple times, 91-92, uh, and also 16-17. You had the Red Wings repeat in the 90s. Uh, Oilers repeat in the 80s as well. So there's been a lot of repeats, but the quest for a three-peat is very difficult. And that's why I'm rooting for the Maple Leafs, because I don't want to see them 3 P. It's difficult. Maple Leafs, get them out of here. Austin Matthews, who scored 60 goals in the regular season. You can score a few more against Andre Vasilevsky. You were the better team this year. All around, the Maple Leafs can beat the Lightning. They do so tonight. Wild and Blues. Wild with a very convincing win. Uh, Kaprizov got a hat trick. Uh, Erickson Eck almost got a hat-trick as well. Marc-Andre Fleury, sensational. This is the Wild I thought to see after a very dismal Game 1 performance. I'm still rolling with the Wild. I'm going to pick the Wild to win tonight. Led by Kaprizov, led by Fleury. They got a very dynamic second-year player, like I said, in Kaprizov. They got the veteran uh, goaltender and Marc-Andre Fleury, who's been in these situations before. Uh, Wild are a very well-constructed team that has a balance offensively, defensively, and great goaltending. Uh, it's just too much for the St. Louis Blues. That's why I'm picking the Minnesota Wild. And last but not least, Oilers-Kings. Series 1-1. I just had to pick the Oilers to win the last game. That was right, but still rolling with the Kings to win this series. I also think that they win tonight. Now it's back in L.A., you know, this, you know, we talked about the Penguins' last run together with their core group. Could that be it with Crosby, Malkin, and Latang? This, to me, feels like a very similar one with the Los Angeles Kings. We know Dustin Brown is going to be gone, but how much longer does Kopitar have? Does Dowdy have? That Quick has. So, again, and I think the crowd is going to be out there cheering for L.A. I think this is going to be another physical a game, but I like the Los Angeles Kings to beat the Edmonton Oilers tonight. Now let's finish up with some baseball. Yesterday, Mets had a crazy, improbable win that had them down 7-1 to one in the ninth inning. It's top of the ninth at 7-1. to one. The 70, or the Phillies, have a 99.99 chance to win. The previous 330 times the New York Mets trailed by six runs in the ninth inning, they had lost all 330 times. So I'm going to the movies. 
I see the score, and I think it's over. Check my phone after movie ends, and boom! Here we go. I can't believe it. Lindor, homers, Canna rich, reaches, Davis doubles, singles, doubles. All of a sudden, it's 8-7, to seven, and then they closed out the deal. The improbable win, just amazing. Uh, it is the biggest, you know, comeback in, you know, since 1997. Ends a streak of 857 consecutive losses by MLB teams when trailing by six runs or more in the ninth. Just great. Can't believe it. Uh, New York Mets last time, you know, 1997, trailed by at least six runs and one. Maybe the Montreal Expos. The Montreal Expos. I mean, tremendous win by the New York Mets. That showed grit, toughness to come back like that when it's 7-1. You can easily just chalk it up when it's at the ninth. But they go out and win this game. Which brings me to my... New power ranking editions of my top five teams in baseball. Number five, the San Diego Padres, yes, are sitting there at number five. Uh, And can you believe it? Doing it without one Fernando Tatis? Uh, It's crazy. Uh, But, you know, Clevenger is playing good by Clevenger. Uh, who has returned from Tommy John surgery. You Darvis, Joe Musgrove, all playing great. Like Snell hasn't played, but the pitching, the pitching when last year it was shaky and it was the offense right now, early in the season, it is the pitch, pitching that has helped out the Padres. Number four, the Milwaukee Brewers are sitting there at 18-8. and eight. Uh, one of the best teams. They have scored a lot of runs, uh, you know, tied for actually the most runs scored in baseball. Sitting there at 128. They've won three in a row, eight out of their past 10. Uh, this is a very hot team at the moment. Number three, the New York Mets. The most wins at baseball at 19. Again, tied for the most runs with the Brewers at 128 as well. Uh, and a team that has not lost a single series so far this season. The only team in baseball to have not lost a series. Number two, the New York Yankees, 18-7. and seven. After that sluggish five and uh, five start, they won 10 in a row. They've won nine out of their past ten. They just had their first loss yesterday, but they've been playing great. DJ LeMahieu, uh, Anthony Rizzo, Aaron Judge have just been fantastic. But number one is still the Los Angeles Dodgers, sitting there at 16-7. and seven, uh, Highest run differential in baseball at 57. 53 just playing really well, consistent, not playing right now, playing out of this world like many expected with that vaunted lineup, just playing really good, consistent baseball. So those are my top five teams, the San Diego Padres, the Milwaukee Brewers, the New York Mets, the New York Yankees, and the Los Angeles Dodgers. This has been Unbothered with Josh Morani. I hope you all enjoy your weekend. Bye, everybody.